10 years. That's how long it was since I visited the dentist. Sometime I, I stopped, I think, in high school. I didn't go back in college. And it wasn't until I became a full-time teacher with health insurance that I started realizing, huh, I should take advantage of those health benefits. So I went back after 10 years. I don't think the dentist or the hygienist had any idea what they got themselves into. Not even me. I must have been there for a couple of hours. Several times they had to stop and ask, are you okay? The scraping of sharp tools, blood, sounds of ultrasonic tools, and cracked lips. At the end, my jaw was sore. My bib was messy and disgusting. And they gave me both good news and bad news. The good news, I didn't have any cavities. Because I had an abundance of plaque and tartar that kept me from getting cavities. The bad news, I had other problems. I had too much plaque and tartar. And you take these things, they become deposited minerals mixed with my saliva, and basically it hardened like rock. And of course, uh, the remedy, which I didn't do, brush and floss regularly, routine checkups, and I already said it, visit the dentist regularly. It was a painful visit, but it was worth it. I was going towards a direction of health and restoration, and ideally how it was supposed to be like. I think the saddest part was I didn't even realize how bad it was. Ten years. Friend, is this all of us who worship false gods? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pray your words would be sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some background to our text. Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth who were lacking unity. And one way they were disunified is how they lived out the Christian life. They still resembled the old selves. They were mixing with pagan worship. And we'll hear how Paul uses the Israelites in the desert as an example for the Corinthian Christians and for us. They grumbled. They complained. And this revealed what they really wanted, their carnal desires, which revealed a bigger problem, idolatry in their hearts, to trust and worship something else other than God. Today's sermon will focus on verse just... Uh, verse 14, but I wanted to read 1 Corinthians 10. So turn in your Bibles if you haven't already. And this can be found in the Black Pew Bibles underneath the blue chairs there on page 957. Hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we may not desire evil as they did. 
Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpent, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If you're taking notes, my big idea from the last sermon and today's sermon is to run away from false gods and run to the true God. So again, my big idea today is to run towards the true God. We're following the theme of F's, and today I have two F's, fly and forge. Fly and forge. Let's do a review of the last sermon. Point number one was running away from false gods. Like a submarine, we all have buried secrets. We defined what false gods were as worshiping the created rather than the creator. Paul Tripp says a desire for good things becomes a desire for bad things, and then they become ruling things. We talked about how we said in those idols that maybe that some of those are blank is good, but blank is not God. Here are some examples of idols. Appearance, beauty, a romantic relationship, wealth, possessions, pleasure, health, our children's salvation, social media status. In the Old Testament, there are warnings for us. We're about to read Exodus 14, and a quick summary of what's happening in Exodus 14, God was keeping his promise to take care of his people. He brought them into Egypt to endure the famine, and God delivers his people from Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's in hot pursuit. Listen to the Israelites as they're trapped between a world power military and the Red Sea in Exodus 14, 11 and 12. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than than to die in the wilderness. Do you hear the Israelites complaining? Do you hear of their distrust of God's sovereignty? Let me die in slavery and bondage to sin. Let me live my life serving false gods rather than trusting and living for God. Apostle Paul explains in these verses in 1 Corinthians 10 that the Israelites are an example to us. Don't do this. Don't be like the Israelites we've heard about. Ed Welch says, either we will love and serve God or we will love and serve our idols. Idols exist in our lives because we love them and we invite them in. But once idols find a home, they are unruly and resist leaving. In fact, they change from being the servants of our desires to being our masters. 
We talked about diagnostic questions, x-ray questions such as, what do I worry about the most? What, if I failed or lost it, would cause me to feel that I do not even want to live? What do you run to in order to comfort yourself when things go bad or get difficult? And what do you, how do you cope? What are your release valves? What makes you feel better? We talked about the dangers of idols. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 10, but go ahead and turn with me to Psalms 115. Psalms 115. If you're new to the Bible, it's going towards the left. Be a good neighbor, and you can help someone next to you if they're new to the Bible. In Psalms 115, I want you to listen how the psalmist describes God's people. Who and what they should turn to, and what they actually turn to, and what's the result. Psalms 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. But pay attention to the shift now. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk, and do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Go down to verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. Are we not like our own idols that we've created? We've talked about exposing idols, being vulnerable with others. It can be scary. We talked about knowing yourself and maybe self-reflection and journaling talking to other Christians and even asking others, hey, do you see any idols in my life? We talked about a second F, fleeing away from these false idols. Ephesians 5.5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. John Sod explains, some people are eaten up with selfish ambition for money, power, and fame. Others are obsessed with their work and with sports and television, or they're infatuated with a person, or addicted to food, alcohol, hard drugs, or sex. Both immorality and greed are pronounced by Paul to be forms of idolatry, because they demand allegiance, which is due to God alone. So every idolater is a prisoner, held in humiliating bondage. In our scripture reading this morning, Tyler read how encouraging it was to hear God's people make a stand. Who would save Daniel? It was a public declaration. God is able to deliver. He will deliver. Daniel bowed down and worshipped who? A living God. We've discussed defining idols and finding them and fleeing them. In today's sermon, we'll transition to talking about the power to fight idols and practical ways to cut them down.
Point number two, run towards the true God. My third F is to fly to the true God. You might push back on me and say, I'm just having a bad day. I'll get my act together. But apart from God, is it possible to push away and put these idols to death and honor God? Galatians 5.17 For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You want to put them to death, but you need the spirit. And how do you get the spirit? For both the non-Christian and the Christian, in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If you are visiting another follower of Jesus, this is the gospel. God created Adam and Eve, our parents. Why? So that they would enjoy their creator forever. And just like Adam and Eve, we take things, good things, we make them ultimate things. God in his holiness and justice cannot allow such rebellion. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you look around the world and even our own lives, where we've set ourselves up as kings and queens, we mess everything up. Hebrews 9.27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There are consequences for not living for this true king. There is eternal separation, which the Bible calls hell. But there is good news. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. This is a Christmas story. A baby born in the manger. God the Son, Jesus. Incarnate, which just basically means fully God and fully man. He was sent on a rescue mission to live the perfect life we can never do. And he died on a cross to bear the wrath of God so that we can get this double exchange, our filthy rags for his pure robes of righteousness. He rose again in three days to show he has conquered sin, death, and Satan. And friend, you have a choice. Repent of your idol-worshiping ways and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration or reject God and keep living your way and face judgment one day. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Why fly to Jesus? Christian, we just heard the gospel. Are you reminded that no dead person can be raised from the grave? Only God can raise a sinner from the grave. Likewise, for the Christian life, Are you reminded that apart from Christ, you can do nothing? John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John Stott says, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, 
especially in self-righteousness, until we visit a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. The cross of Christ is made to humble. You need it more than you realize and provides more than you realize. Dependent on Christ for salvation, this is called justification. Dependent on Christ for the Christian life, this is sanctification. Dependent on Christ until we meet our Savior, this is glorification. Christian, it is not by self-righteousness that will help you make it to the very end. It's Christ's righteousness that makes you acceptable to God. It's Christ's work that sustains you. This is the most important part, Christian. If you skip this F, the flying to Jesus, and your temptation is, let's just get to application. Let me make a checklist to do. You're in danger. You're one step towards moralism. Doing like Jesus without knowing this Jesus. You're one step towards all the world religions and philosophies. Do this list to pursue a righteousness apart from God. Maybe you've heard this phrase, not do, but done. It's not do a bunch of stuff, like legalism, to do, to be right with God. It's already done. The work of salvation has already been completed by Jesus' death and resurrection. Charles Spurgeon says, self-righteousness exclaims, I will not be saved in God's way, I'll make a new way, new road to heaven. I will not bow before God's grace. I will not accept the atonement which God has wrought out in the person of Jesus. I will be my own redeemer. I will enter heaven by my own strength and glorify my own merits. This is very wrought against self-righteousness. I do not know of anything against which his fury burneth more than against this. Because this touches him in a very tender place. It insults the glory and honor of his son, Jesus Christ. Self-righteousness is basically saying, I don't need Jesus in order to get to heaven. Friend, consider. The easy way is to repent and believe in the sufficiency of Christ. Or the hard way. In arrogant pride, in your heart and heart, you turn to your false gods to save you. And they will continue to disappoint and continue to leave you hungrier, thirstier, and emptier. To the discouraged. You clearly see your submission. You're bowing down to false idols. You fell into sin again. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 verses 13 and 14. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. His desire is not to leave you in the mud, but to clean you, to grow you, to trust in him, to help you turn to him over and over again. Tim Keller says, The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. To the discouraged where you are, look to your risen Savior. 
All followers of Jesus will follow their Savior. He has risen. We will be risen. When he comes back, we will fly to our Savior. And we'll meet him as our hope. But until then, right now, he is our living hope. There in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, He is faithful that you may be able to endure it. We just finished flying to Christ. Let's go on to our fourth F, forge. Forge family ties. Was a Christian meant to do all this on their own? To the solo Christian, do you church shop and hop and are not committed to a local church? Where do you find help to expose those heart idols? Does the Christian book or the YouTube pastor know you intimately who's committed to see your restoration step by step even after 10 years? If you follow Jesus, the Bible calls you to be baptized and then commit to a local church. I'm talking about church membership. Notice there in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, in our passage, Paul says, Beloved, a deep desire to love Christians in a particular group of committed Christians. Living life on life with other Christians in the local church will help expose and find those false gods, those deep dark in the closet that you've hidden, but also to bring light of the gospel can be revealed in those dark areas to provide hope. You're committing to the Lord. You're committing to his bride, the body. And the church is committed to you. So when you rejoice, we rejoice. And when you mourn, we mourn. I've met Christians all around the world in which I don't even speak their language. I don't understand them. But one day, all of us from the local church will be gathered together in the big church. His bride, the church, will be reunited, present, to present each other blameless, holy, and pure for the groom, Christ. Be known by others and get to know others. Join a church. It's not just going and attending. It's a commitment of the heart. What's the purpose of forging family ties? I have four purposes, and they start with P's, four P's. Purpose number one for forging family ties, practice. Practice the one another's. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one if you have love for one another. You've experienced the radical vertical love, and now you can express the horizontal love. In application to last week's sermon, Who is my neighbor? We are called to be a good neighbor, not like State Farm Insurance, but like Jesus, the perfect neighbor, helping those despite our differences, discerning when to love, and loving sacrificially. When someone moves to a new home, when someone just had a birth of a baby, when someone's sick and going through difficult times. These are opportunities for us, church family, to love one another because he has first loved us. Purpose number two, 
for forging family ties? Purge. Purge. We need other committed Christians, others who are saved sinners, to help draw us out. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You see, we are his instruments. And like one Christian book is titled, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. You know, going back to the introduction, a lot of us have experienced bad dentists, scary ones, and also the good dentist. How do you help others purge their false idols? You do it like a good dentist. Psalms 23, like a good shepherd. Firm, but gently loving. Purpose number three in forging family ties. People, not pastor. People, not pastor. The temptation for a Christian inside a church family is to have the pastor or even a new pastor do it all. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up for the body of Christ. Some of you have attended this church. Maybe this might be your first healthy church. Other members have attended other churches where the pastor did it all. They deleted the phrase in verse 12 where it says um, to build up the body, that the, the teachers and shepherds are to equip the saints. They delete the words, equip the saints. So it says the shepherds and teachers are doing the work of the ministry. You might be thinking because they're paid. The word tells us that they are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So how can you guard your hearts from having a senior pastor or any pastor on a pedestal and have them do it all? Let me shepherd you. Comparison. Don't compare. You might have had good things, a good church before and a good pastor. Be thankful. Maybe you've experienced things that didn't go so well. Consider how to be an encouragement versus a discouragement. The temptation is to compare a shepherd to another shepherd. Maybe Charles Spurgeon, Dever, MacArthur, Piper. Maybe even the previous pastors at this pulpit. Maybe me or Oscar. That is dangerous, my friends. How about expectations? The pastor is just a man. Don't expect um, all of the previous pastors I mentioned to be like the people at this pulpit. Pastor is not Jesus. They're not your savior, but he will point you to Jesus. Warning to our church as we are uh, in this pastoral search committee searching for a new pastor, we might be tempted to think our new senior pastor is Jesus. Some functional savior, an idol He will save our church. He will save my spiritual life. No, friend. Look to Jesus. A couple of resources in helping us realize that the pastors are to equip the members for the ministry of the word. Compelling community. 
and also a book that we have given our church members. If you don't have one, you can pick one up here in the box. How can our church find a faithful pastor? Purpose number four in forging family ties, protection. Protection. Years ago, I was attending my first healthy church. And every Sunday, people kept asking me, are you a member yet? And I just kept pushing them back, like, why do they keep asking me? Five months, six months, they kept asking me, kept asking me. Why are they calling me out? I was already attending faithfully on a Sunday. I was going to week Bible studies. People knew me. But I know what they wanted. They wanted to know where my loyalties lied. You see, my heart was in another place. I was there in body, but not in heart. The new flock wanted to know I wasn't a wolf. They wanted to know I was a sheep and part of this flock. They were protecting the flock. I was thankful. I committed. I was a sheep known by their flock, and I was willing to submit to their local shepherds. Protect the church by protecting yourself. Protect the church, his bride, by protecting yourself. How? Accountability. Do you seek accountability? Accountability is not waiting for someone to pursue you. It's not waiting for someone to ask you hard questions about your struggles with sin and your idols. It's passive. It's reactionary. It's too late. Be proactive. Accountability is questions. Preparing a list of laser-focused heart questions for others to ask you as you know your own heart is giving others the green light to speak to you. We've already referenced x-ray questions by David Powelson. Now we reference this verse, but I want to read the completion, Proverbs 20, verse 5 and 6. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Find faithful people who love you and want to draw you out. Accountability is preparing. It's preparing to share with people openly, honestly, what idols you've been struggling with. I call this the reveal button. Reveal the inner person past all of the layers. Everyone has a famous question after service. How was your week? Better, knowing the other person than what they've shared before and asking them, how is it going fighting against purity? How is it looking to the cross for forgiveness? And when we're sharing, it's both confession and also holding out a hope. Accountability is our discipleship tree. It's being more intentional. You might be thinking, chemistry, this is weird. I, I, it's awkward. I feel like it's blind dating. But if you commit to other church members of the local church, watch God do amazing work. You have the greatest chemistry, fellowship through the blood of Christ. In the discipleship tree, commit. Brothers, 
find other brothers, one or two other brothers. For sisters, find another sister or two. Meet every week. Meet every other week for coffee. Confess to one another. Show them how God's working in your life. Repent. Read scriptures to shepherd your hearts towards the cross and pray for one another. If discipleship is new to you, I want to talk about expectations. Don't set too high of expectation. Not everyone is Jesus or the Apostle Paul. Don't compare or expect your past discipleship relationships to be like that of the past. One brother asked me, I'm not sure how to love you or shepherd you. I said, I'm a sheep. Feed me sheep food. Feed me God's word. Point me to the good shepherd when I've lost my way. And accountability, it's also what we've seen from others. It's modeling. If someone has modeled spiritual good to you, maybe they've texted you during the week, they said they prayed for you, you've had coffee with them during difficult times, rinse and repeat. Do it again. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And accountability is asking for help. There was a time in my life when I was in deep idolatry. I was able to find the false gods. I was turning to Jesus. I had forged and built good Christian ties in the church. But I could not flee or put them to death. I had to ask a brother, I need you to make a phone call for me. I need you to help me end these avenues of sin. I need help destroying idols. I needed the church family. For you where you are, talk to a mature Christian. Come talk to the elders for us to help shepherd and guide you. We may recommend that you meet with someone in the church. We may recommend that we have pastoral counseling sessions. We may recommend biblical counseling with a professional. How can you help build up this church? Practice the one another's. Purge idols. Pastors are to equip the people for the ministry of the word. Protect the flock by seeking accountability. And as a Christian, forge family ties by the blood of our Savior. Commit to a church by church membership and live out the church covenant through discipleship and loving one another. In closing, 10 years. I won't forget that dentist visit. I've grown over the years. I've been brushing my teeth regularly. I've been flossing and going to the dentist regularly. I'm glad I have a good dentist and hygienist. For me, over 10 years, steady progress. It was painful at first, but there's slow improvement. Are you looking for a good dentist? I'm not talking about a person dealing with teeth. There is a perfect dentist, a perfect medical professional, not founded on the pages of the Internet, but on the pages of the Holy Scriptures. He doesn't remove cavities and plaque, but he carefully softens hardened hearts, callous towards their sinful nature. And he replaces hearts of stone and replaces with hearts of flesh to obey his word. He has shown committed love. He does this with his loving hands, nail-pierced hands, with a gentle touch and through his fingers and through parts of his body, his own body, the church. It's an operation to diagnose idols, 
to find, to treat, to lift up, to heal, to restore hearts, to worship the true God. Why trust this dentist? Consider his authority, his sacrificial love, committed to making his people to enjoy the real living God. The best place to help you remove idols is not a five-star Yelp-rated dentistry, but the local church. I'm praying it won't take you 10 years. In summary, our past two sermons run away from false gods and run to the true God. We talked about our four Fs. Find false gods, flee away from them, fly to the living God, and forge family ties. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Let's pray. God, we come before you as a congregation confessing once again we find ourselves in a season filled with pretend gods. We're distracted. Open our eyes so we can see that this Christmas season is about, li- is about living for a hope born to us, a living God, real, incarnate with us. Help us flee false gods and run to the true God to enjoy you forever and to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.